0: I want to invite you this morning to turn in your New Testaments to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. Today we begin a new study of Philippians. I'm calling it Outrageous Joy. I want to begin with just a few questions. What are the true sources of joy in your life? What are the headwaters of the experience of fulfillment or joy for you? Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it literally outrageously in abundance. He gave a vision To all of us, for those who would follow after him of a life of supernatural experience, of not simply happiness or pleasure, which are fleeting. Or of some sort of pain-free existence, but joy. Outrageous joy. A joy that is beyond us, that is otherworldly. And sadly, though we sing of it, and we do, and we have, and even give certain lip service to it, few would actually admit to having experienced it. this level, this depth of joy, a life-altering elation which flows from a living, abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that 's where we begin. What gives? Why not? Where does this genuine joy? originate? Is it found in things? Maybe material possessions? You'd you'd think perhaps that's that's the corner uh, based just on this kind of mad pursuit of such things in our culture. Or perhaps joy is found in family, or in leisure, or achievement, or friendships, Uh, Or maybe sports or some measure of success, whatever that means or looks like. Where is it found? And better question, why does it remain so elusive to the human experience? I believe that Philippians, because it's part of God's word, but because of the focus, helps us answer those questions and provides a path toward finding and experiencing, really, The deepest levels of joy imaginable. Philippians, you know, has long been called the book of joy in the New Testament uh, because of the frequency primarily in which the writer uses this term. But it's so much more than that as we shall see. There, There are unexpected and even surprising sources of joy in the Christian life. But is it something you desire? Are you up for the process of discovery and reflection? Or are you satisfied, maybe, with with where you are in your Christian life? Um, According to the most recent sociological studies, never before have Americans and Christian Americans been more educated, more financially set, more comfortable, healthier more capable and able to achieve their dreams for owning homes and finding the prospects of happiness and finding wealth. Yet in all of this, in all of this, there's never been a period in American history where Americans, Christians and non-Christians alike, have ranked highest in the world in numbers of drug and alcohol and substance-related abuses, divorce, suicide, Diagnoses of depression and anxiety disorders, dysfunctional families and episodes of personal and public crimes. And according to the Journal of American Psychology, for what it's worth, religion has played little if absolutely no role in curbing the trends Faith rarely rises me above it all. Even Christians, it seems, at times, with the hope of heaven at our disposal, routinely and without reservation, choose other things to bring real and lasting satisfaction. And Philippians... Like a laser beam of grace and goodness cuts through the multi-layers of self-satisfaction and worldly attractions and, and declares with a tender yet bold precision, there's more, there's more, there's more for you to experience in Christ. And we see really in how this new body of believers, this church was born Some surprising, miraculous ways in which God, in His grace, desires to transform the human heart. To rapture us away from those things that are so appealing and so tantalizing and and offer to us such enormous promise of happiness and fulfillment, but yet fall flat in their delivery of them. We'll learn some things about God and how he has ordained to work in our lives. We'll we'll discover his relentless grace as it pursues and transforms and delivers us from the mundane, self-serving spirit of our age into an experience of himself. That's outrageous in comparison. So that's why I have you open to Philippians. And I just want to read the opening strains of this great letter and move from here. This is Paul and Timothy, and they are servants of Christ Jesus, writing to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul and Timothy, these uh, two men um, writing to a body of believers, a local church. He says to all the saints, um, hagios is the word, holy ones. By the way, saints does not refer to perfect people. It's an unfortunate translation, English translation, of this compelling Greek word. Uh, Hagios is the word. It literally means holy ones, those who have been set apart. So, not perfect people, but sinful people made perfect by the grace of Christ. (laughs) That's a saint. That's you. That's anyone who has experienced the wondrous grace and mercy of of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You are not perfect. You are wholly sinful, lost in that desperate place, and you are made holy by his grace. And the apostle says in Timothy, We're writing to you, to you, the church. And also to the overseers, the elders, the spiritual leaders of the body, and the servants, uh, the deacons, diakonos is the word, those who serve uniquely. And that's what makes a church, by the way. First of all, Jesus Christ, there it is, as head. Followed by those who are in positions of spiritual authority, the overseers and deacons. Those who serve uniquely under His holy leadership. And the church, the saints, the body of people who are blood-bought and covered in Christ's grace. Church's people, people living in submission to Christ and to one another in loving, affectionate relationship with God and with each other. There's a joy, there's an outrageous joy in that arrangement, in that protocol that God has given to us. And this is a personal letter from Paul and Timothy to a a group of people, and it is filled with emotion and intense feelings of, of love and affection. It's written from two pastors, Paul and Timothy, and look, they declare in their greeting their resolved allegiance to Jesus Christ. And the metaphor is bond slavery, servants of Christ Jesus, bond slaves of Jesus Christ. They are no longer free to do as they please. To make their own decisions or set their own list of priorities or determine how they manage their time or spend their money or resources. They are enslaved to Jesus Christ. We can become enslaved to so many things, but these men have given their allegiance to Him. They are enslaved to the purposes and calling and commands of Christ. And the question is, of course, at the very beginning of this time, are you? Am I? To what or whom are we enslaved? If we are enslaved to other things, we find ourselves joyless, finally empty, Enslavement to our own schedules and plans and priorities, we can become enslaved to sinful habits and, and dark appetites They can lay hold of us and we become slave to them. We cannot control our, our attitudes and our actions because of them. We can become enslaved to our own need to prove something or be proven successful. Or we're driven by the desire to achieve and be counted worthy. We can become enslaved by so many things that promise happiness and satisfaction but deliver none of it. Paul and Timothy were enslaved to Jesus Christ. He was their master. He called the shots. He determined where they would go, to whom they would serve and minister, and how they would live their lives. And there's a certain joy in that freedom of slavery. Now we live in an age, do we not, of personal freedom and self-determination in a land where liberty and justice is for all and we demand and enjoy our rights. We are not enslaved to such things. We live in a culture where girls and ladies have the right to do whatever they want with their own body. Or where others shake their fist at God for not giving them what they believe they deserve. We live in a culture that promotes that my happiness is supreme. And I'm not satisfied or fulfilled until I've reached it or experienced it. In a culture that screams, be all you can be. You have the right to happiness and fulfillment. Your marriage clamping down on you? Not experiencing the kind of happiness and freedom you think you deserve? You deserve happiness. You deserve freedom. You just might as well get out of that marriage. We can make it quite easy to do so. Because ultimately, it's not about covenant. It's about happiness. When you're enslaved to personal freedom and self-determination. But not these men, not these believers. They understood the compelling commitment of slavery to Jesus Christ, and it brought to them a remarkable experience of joy. And nothing more compellingly illustrates this than in how Paul and Timothy encountered the very first people who would become the church at Philippi. So in order to look at that story, I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, and hold your thumb or finger or marker in Philippians 1. Paul, the apostle, along with his companions, are making their way to the Gentile world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they are meeting no small opposition from Jewish believers who are concerned about traditions. But you see, somehow, in the midst of all of this, it was through this difficult dispute that God worked such marvelous things. There were believers from Jerusalem, Jewish believers, that were concerned that the gospel um, be somehow tailored and managed when it applies to Gentiles, who are not Jewish. They are not circumcised. So a controversy arose that they had to make their way through. And they did so with a certain deliberateness and honor to God and His Word and to one another that I think is quite gratifying. But the net result of it was Paul was determined to take the gospel to the Gentiles as as God had commissioned him to do. So there was a certain division there in in, uh, Acts chapter 15 that God uh, saw fit to work through that released the gospel to the Gentiles. Look down at verse 22 of of Acts chapter 15. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. And then they sent along them uh, a letter and greetings. And they laid forth before them the essentials of gospel ministry. And then down in verse 36, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preached. So Paul and Barnabas now continue in their work of pursuing Gentiles with the gospel message. It's human. It's an experience where God intersects the human Uh, experience and activity. It's a place of joy and power and spirit where God breaks into our experience, often painful ones, difficult ones, thorny ones, and demonstrates His power and presence. And He's in it all. Sometimes He even startles us and surprises us as we lay ourselves open to Him to experience the joy of it. Now look what happens next. Verse 30, the men were sent off. I beg your pardon. Verse 36, some time later Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, that is John Mark, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. And they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Do you notice that? They, they, they so disagreed on this matter as to whether or not to take John Mark or to take someone else. They agreed to disagree. And they, and they, they separated in their work. This is Paul and Barnabas. This is two men who are in intimate, um, effective ministry relationship. But because of this issue, they parted company, you see. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus but Paul chose Silas and he left commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches. This is God also at work. Paul and Barnabas in this disagreement painful and frustrating and separating as it was God was in that too. Somehow, God was in that, too. Now the story continues in chapter 16. He, that is Paul, came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. And the brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. And Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And they traveled from town to town. And they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in the church in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew. They grew in number. I want you to notice that had there not been a conflict in Acts chapter 15 over Barnabas and John Mark and Paul, Paul would have never met Timothy in Lystra in Acts chapter 16. But God was in that. There would not have been an an Ephesian church where Timothy served so faithfully under Paul's guidance and shepherding. Can you imagine There would be no wondrous understanding as revealed in the mystery of God of the glory of the body of Christ that is given to us in Ephesians, that the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesian believers and to Timothy. Imagine. And we would not have Philippians. The story continues. Verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Let me ask you a question. Has God ever told you no? Has God ever said no? To you. here are these men so bent on taking the gospel to the world and they so desired to go to Asia I mean who wouldn't That mysterious intriguing land as it remains to this day that was their heart Asia God said no no I don't want you there I have another plan There's something else, there's something incredibly else on the other side of that. Really, they so desired this, yet they were kept by the Holy Spirit. And these men were learning, learning the joy, somehow, of being slaves, not to their own desires, but to Christ. Paul and Timothy, to the saints, slaves of Jesus Christ. And then look what happens next. During the night, verse 9, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. They wanted to go to Asia. God said no. In the middle of the night, Paul gets a dream. A oh, man, begging them to come to Macedonia. After all, after Paul had seen the vision, we got, we got ready and once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. God revealed his plan. God shows us. And that's where this all started. That's how Philippi began. The church at Philippi began after conflict in the church over tradition heartache and intense disagreement between two men who were deeply committed to one another and to the cause of the gospel, a separation of genuine friends, and the painful experience of hearing God say no to something that seemed so right, so good, so worthy, so noble and virtuous. God wanted them to go to Philippi, not Asia, and with Timothy, not John Mark, because they were convinced of his leading and not of their own desires. Is that how you live your Christian life? What becomes supreme in your mind and in your home? What you desire, noble and good and virtuous as it may be, affirmed by culture? That you should have this and you should experience this, and and I should have this and I should experience that, and it just presses on us and infirms. Is that what becomes supreme? in my life and in my living and in my following after Jesus that somehow we take his grace and his goodness and his kindness and we kind of put it down on top as a blanket on those things that we really want and so it becomes sort of a religious desire? Or are we sold out as slaves to what Christ has called us to do? You see, that's the difference. And what Paul is going to show us, and that we will see with our own eyes, is that there is an experience of joy and fulfillment on the other side. It is beyond us. God needed a church at Philippi. He needed followers there in that strategic place to claim the name of Christ so that we could have Philippians. Hey, now I'm talking just to you Christians, all of us imagine your Christian life today without the promise that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. How many of you have claimed and held on to that promise as a follower of Jesus?
1: Imagine. Imagine.
0: Imagine your experience with God without the assuring antidote for an anxious heart, to be anxious for nothing but pray about everything. Through your prayer and supplications, let your requests be made known unto God, and the God of peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Can you imagine your life with Christ without that promise? It came from Philippi. Or the confidence that you have that God, listen, God shall supply all your need according to the riches of grace that are in Christ Jesus. Can anybody here give a witness to God's faithfulness to that promise? Men, that's from Philippi. Or that you, you. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Do you believe it? It comes from Philippi. There's, there's an outrageous level of experience of God on the other side of ourselves. When we stand down from being enslaved to self-determination, self-freedom, self-fulfillment and purpose, and give ourselves wholly and fully to Him. Now watch, watch the end of this story and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap and I'll quit <coughs> yelling at you here. Look at this. From Troas, <laughs> verse uh, 11 Chapter 16, Acts, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to, here it is, Philippi. They're there, where God wanted them to be, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. What if they'd have gone on to Asia? What if they'd have somehow orchestrated and managed and pulled all their strings and and done everything they humanly possibly could do to make their way across that perilous mountain range and found themselves in the middle of Asia? What if they'd have done that? They'd have never gotten to Philippi. They'd have never done it. God said no. He said no. And he said no because I have a better plan. I know what's best for you. I know what's best for your life and for your ministry follow me, you will experience something that is beyond yourselves. And they're at Philippi, a Roman colony, and and he says, we stayed there for several days. Now watch this, on the Sabbath, Shabbat, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer, because they were looking for Jews And we sat down and began to speak to the women who who were there and who had gathered there. Isn't that wonderful? At the river, these women had come. Not only for prayer, but probably for some um, time of cleansing or washing. And there there they were. And they found these women on the side of the river at Philippi. And one of those listening was a woman named Lydia. Lydia calls her by name. She's in the the biblical record. A woman that was there, her name was Lydia. God, in His grace and goodness and sovereign care and mercy, had a plan for Lydia. She was a dealer in purple cloth. She was a businesswoman from the city of Thyatira. And she was a worshiper of God. She was religious. Now listen to this. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. Wow. God opened her heart. God himself began a work in Lydia's heart. He opened her heart to show her himself and all the riches of grace in Christ Jesus. He showed her that her life, though full and efficient, And effective and laudable and virtuous and worthy was empty and wanting. All we believe ourselves to be and have achieved in life and before God is nothing except that God has done it. He opened our hearts to his truth. He gave to us the desire and capacity to believe and respond in faith. He sets our hearts free. Such outrageous joy in that determination that he not only desires to work in our lives and to show himself powerful and good and merciful and faithful, it is he who does the work. God opened her heart. There is no more joyous mystery or magnificent expression, I believe, in all of the scriptures That in the totality of my condemnation, in the deepest depth of my stubborn agenda, in the relentless black darkness of my base desire and horrifying, irreversible depravity, God ordered time and events and circumstances and wills and enslaved individuals to himself and ordered situations and scenarios in the fullness of time and brought me as Lydia and you as Lydia face to face with one who proclaimed an irresistible grace in Christ Jesus, then God himself opened my heart." Oh, what a joy. What outrageous joy that it was He, not I, who saved my soul. It is He, not I, who does His work. It is he, not I, who accomplishes his purpose. It is he, not I, who knows what's best for me and my family and my future. It is he, not I, who has ordered all things. O believer, follower of Christ today, do you know that outrageous joy of that kind of surrender? Or are you still so convinced of your own calculated and efficient ways, your own self determined counsel and plans, that you know entirely what's best for you? So sure of your own puny resources that you've no need of a sovereign, all gracious, all powerful, loving God who really does know what's best for you? He wants to show you joy outrageous joy beyond these things that you so desperately desire and are convinced you deserve or need to be happy. There's so much more on the other side of that. But He has to open your heart to show you that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith and that you, being rooted in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Are you ready for that kind of joy? Are you ready for that kind of surrender? Can you trust God's plan? Even if he said no? So that you can experience the fullness that he has for you? If you cannot believe, then ask God to open your heart. If you cannot accept His ways, then ask Him to open your heart. If you cannot embrace or endure your current state, then ask God to open your heart. And He Himself will begin a new work in you. And it will be Him Who will be faithful to complete it? And your first joy, like Lydia's, will be an outrageous joy, the likes of which you've never known or experienced. It's an old, old, old gospel chorus. It captures the sentiment, perhaps, of what Lydia experienced in her first joy. She thought she knew God. She was a worshiper of God. It looked like she was being blessed by God. But she was in darkness until God opened her heart. And he was faithful to her through a string and series of circumstances and events that he ordained. And he opened her heart. And she found
1: him. Maybe she sang, Thank you, Lord. For saving my soul Thank you Lord for making me whole thank you Lord for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free. Now that you know it, stand and sing it with first joy. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making salvation so rich and free.
0: Let's pray together. A great God, you are mighty to save. You are able and you alone are able to open the hearts of the most sinful of all of us to break through the darkness and bring light to cast off the chains and set us free. Open our hearts, O gracious God, to your wondrous work. First, for those who don't know you, who may be worshipers of you, but have never found forgiveness and grace through faith in Jesus Christ, but for the rest who might struggle to let go of these things that they're so convinced will bring them joy, and surrender to you. Oh God, do that work as well. And unto you who are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to your power that is at work within us, to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. May God be gracious to you.